I'm Sean Delaney, and you're listening to What Got You There. What Got You There is a must-follow for entrepreneurs, creatives, high achievers, and change makers. Each week, I sit down with some of the world's most influential people and focus on the journey behind their success. We uncover the strategy, tactics, and routines that help them get there. Now it's your journey, so it's time to learn what's going to get you there. Uh, what got you there? What got you, got you? Matteo Franceschetti is the co-founder and CEO of Eight Sleep, the world's leading sleep enhancement company. This conversation dives into Matteo's decision-making frameworks, how he's enhancing sleep performance, and what it takes to build a fast-growing company. Get ready to bring your health to another level. This podcast is all about uncovering the lessons and wisdom high performers are using to better their life. And one of the most important elements of high performance is your sleep. That's why I'm thrilled to tell you about 8Sleep. 8Sleep is revolutionizing what a great night of sleep means. The Pod Pro by 8Sleep is the most advanced solution on the market. And what it does is the Pod Pro has dynamic cooling and heating with biometric tracking so you know the exact amount and quality of the sleep you're getting. It comes in the form of both a mattress or a cover you can put on your existing mattress. Get the pod and start sleeping as cool as 55 degrees for those people who were like a nice chilly room or mattress and as hot as 110 degrees. I'm one of the fans of the cooler mattress, so this is perfect for me. The temperature of the Pod Pro will adjust each side of the bed based on your sleep stages, biometrics, and bedroom temperature, reacting intelligently to create the optimal sleeping environment for you. So what's the result of all this? Eight sleep users fall asleep 32% faster, reduce sleep interruptions by 40%, and get an overall more restful night of sleep. The Pod Pro by Eight Sleep is so popular as garnered the attention from CEOs, pro athletes, and overall high performers like yourself. Go to 8sleep.com forward slash Sean to check out the Pod Pro and save $150 at checkoff. That's 8sleep.com forward slash Sean. For the high performers looking to improve their leadership abilities, listen up and get ready to discover the path to becoming a better version of yourself. Let's face it, the best leaders, they're always on the hunt for insights, wisdom, looking for ways to get better, ways to make other people better. They see the gap between who they are and who they could be. For three decades, thousands of the world's most elite leaders have turned to admired leadership for insights, for the behaviors and routines of true leadership excellence, how to make decisions, build relationships, how to motivate and inspire. Now, for the first time, these rare insights are available online. Admired Leadership has this incredible video platform that focuses on 10 areas that are critical for all leaders. In each video module, you'll learn the 10 specific behaviors of the very best leaders. I've had the pleasure of taking this course, and it is hands down the best course I have ever taken on leadership. If you're looking to better yourself or raise up the team or company you're working with, then you have to check out Admired Leadership. I'm also excited about the new Admired Leadership Field Notes email. This is a daily email from the front lines of leadership. It's free, and even better, when you sign up, you'll get a special 16-page guide to motivation and inspiration that will change the way you lead. So you need to ask yourself the question, are you ready to become an even better leader? If so, find out more at admiredleadership.com. Mateo, welcome to What Got You There. How are you doing today? Oh, great. Thank you for having me. Super excited. Yeah, we're, we're, we're all super, super fueled up here with, with espresso and coffee, ready to get going. But before we dive into what you're building right now, I would love to go back to the early days. And I want to know, what was capturing your attention when you were younger, like the real early days? Uh, two things, sport 
and um, motorsport, uh, which they are they are connected. So my, my dad was a what is called a gentleman driver. Uh, he 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 was a lawyer, but he was racing with cars uh, during the weekends, and so I was going to the track with him, and and I loved that. And um, and then I was super passionate about sport, and and I have been an athlete uh, during my you know age. I mean, since when I was probably eight years old until when I was nineteen years old. If you could go and just hang out and, and study and learn from one F one team, what would it be? Um. I mean, obviously, Mercedes is at the top, but I also like a lot McLaren. And uh, we got introduced to them recently. And I have a huge passion for, for, for that. So we, we are talking to the McLaren F1 team. And that makes me super excited. Oh, I love it. Yeah, I, I've gotten into F1 a bit more over the past year uh, and love what, what those athletes, what those teams are able to do. But I, I want to dive into that sports background. I mean, is it that competitive edge? Is that what you were drawn to early on? Yeah, I think uh, I I got this passion from from my dad. Right, he has always been an athlete, and so um, I started with skiing, and so I started doing ski races, and then I started playing tennis, and I played a lot of you know, tennis tournaments when I was a teenager, and then finally I was able to find some sponsors and start um, with motorsport, and so I started racing with uh, with cars as well, Italian and European championships. What did you learn about skill development for, from your sports background that has just stuck with you today? A lot. I think I always say that you know, being the CEO of a startup is probably the closest thing to being an athlete, right? You need to always be a peak performance. There's always something broken. You always need to raise your bar. Uh, you can have big down moments, like in sports, when you have an injury and you need to recover and to, you know, to get back. And so... I think I really learned that mentality that you really need to fight to achieve what you want, that you need to raise your bar daily. You need to keep improving every single tiny detail if you want to be at the top of your game. And then also this obsession for performance. So when I think about my job, is is my job as everyone in the world would think of, but I'm also obsessed with cognitive performance, physical performance. And so the, to me, when I train, when I do a sauna, when I do a nice bath, it's still part of my work to then perform with my team. Oh, dive dive further on that. Uh, I love this around obsession around yeah. performance. Yeah. So, yeah, I really think sleep, nutrition, and fitness, uh, to me, are part of my job, right? If I need to run, a, a hopefully, an organization that becomes large, if I work 365 days uh, no, a year and I need to take big decisions... I need to be a peak performance, right? And so what that means, it means that, you know, uh, all my biometrics, they need to be uh, in, 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 uh, in the right spot. And so when I think about, you know, my longevity, my health plan, my lifespan, all that, um, I just want to be at my best. If I, I think if I don't train, I tend to train in the morning, then everyone can train at different times. But to me, that it gives me peace of mind. It relaxes me. It clears my mind. Um, sauna the same. I use saunas, for example, for as a time for my, I call it monkey mind. So I stay there for 15, 20 minutes. My monkey mind goes everywhere, but then finally starts calming. And most of my best ideas, you know, they come during that time. I do the ice bath because it gives me energy. And so before a performance, um, and yeah, I mean, if I have a big meeting tomorrow, 
the way I prepare the meeting includes my sleep, includes my training before the meeting. I love it. I, I had a mentor of mine who, who said, Sean, you need to be a corporate athlete. You have to train with the exact same mentality you approach sport with. It, it's even funny. You can look back at some of the legendary tech CEOs. Think of, of Bezos and Elon Musk. And you look at their early days, so unathletic, out of shape. And then the transition happens where, where they really turn yeah. those companies into something special. Um, you just mentioned some of, the, some of the things you do. You said you train in the morning. What do you have that are, let's call it non-negotiables, things that you have to get in every single day, no matter or what that just really move those big buckets forward for you yeah so i would say i would say what i do 80 90 percent of the times right okay 100 percent of the times is my sleep uh it's really eight or nine hours but really eight and a half to nine um then i fast every day uh during the weekdays i eat uh, only once per day at night and during the weekends i tend to do the the 16-8, so I, I eat two times because maybe I have a sort of brunch with my wife and then I have dinner. Uh, that helps me a lot, so I never have a dip into my performance in the afternoon uh, with, with fasting, so I like that a lot. Um, training, I train at least five times a week, uh, when I can seven times a week. Uh, if I'm on vacation two times a day or three times a day, I use that time to really not you know, gain uh, training. Um, so those are the big things. Then I'm becoming pretty obsessed with sauna and ice bath. Uh, it really helps me to relax, to clear my mind, to, to calm down, but it also gives me a lot of energy. Plus I have read some, um, a lot of research that says that sauna has a major impact on your, uh, health span and lifespan. So it's pretty good. The other thing I noticed that increases my performance, my HRV, is uh, when I limit calories. So let's say I eat once per day and that last meal that usually is around 7 p.m., if I try to keep it within 1,000 or 1,200 calories. So um, I see my HRV moving from an average of 60, 70 to something like even 90 or 100. You mentioned that fasting once or fasting and then eating once per day, usually around 7 p.m., calories right around 1,000 to 1,500 what actually is in that meal that you're consuming? Yeah, um, a bit of everything. I, I also eat a keto diet, so I usually cheat once a week with carbs. Um, well, you're, so you're Italian. I, I can't imagine that you... <laughs> yeah, yeah. So actually, there is something super interesting that I received today. Last week, I did a test of uh, uh, how my body reacts to 180 different types of food. And I just received all the data. And so the worst food for me is anything with gluten, is anything with wheat, is anything with milk, and is eggs. Uh, and so substantially, they give you this data. is uh, green, orange, or red. And so red creates the most inflammation. The orange, medium, and green is perfect for you. And... Uh, and so I just discovered that all these foods create, you know, they has, have the highest impact on my inflammation, which doesn't surprise me because I also use levels, which is the CGM that usually you have here, you know, the, the continuous glucose monitor. And I have seen that all the times I had the pizza or, or, uh, or pasta, I had major uh, spikes yeah. in, in yeah. glucose levels. 
it's so difficult mentally uh, when some of those favorite foods pop up. You mentioned the company Levels. Uh, we had on their CEO, Josh Clemente. So uh, listeners who are interested yeah. in hearing that, they can hear more about that story. You mentioned some of these foods causing inflammation, and I, I kind of use certain inputs, whether they be things we listen to, other people, those stimulants could can be inflammation uh, on our attention and our, our energy. How do you filter what captures your attention? That could be the, the different things you're consuming, call it media, books, things like that. How do you filter that? Yeah, I try to be selective because I'm pretty obsessed with the amount of information that I input in my brain. Or, you know, during the day with, with my work, I already take so much information for decision. And so I, I want to be savvy about you know what 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 I, I i i read or study so i usually read books i tend to read like a book a week or two i mean one or two books per week um then uh, i cut almost all social media except twitter twitter is still part of my job meaning a lot of our customers are there and so we have a strong presence and so i do mainly because of, of my role and of its sleep um and and then I just um, listen to key podcasts uh, where there is you now some key people interviewed, um, and then I like to spend time asynchronous or or in a in a video call with with friends that I really respect. Right, there is the framework that you now you are uh, like the five people you spend the most time with, and so I try to cherry pick the the, the five people I spend more time with. You, you mentioned that framework, who you surround yourself with. Are there any other foundational lessons, frameworks that, that you base a lot of what you do on? Yeah, there are, for example, two for decisions that are really important to me is reversible versus non-reversible decisions, right? So if a decision is not reversible, my team can go ahead um, with, without me. And the other one is a split decision in quadrants. And so there is uh, knowledge and, and impact, Right. And so based on, okay, I have no knowledge and it has a limited, more than impact risk and have low risk, someone else can, can take it for me. If it's high risk and I have also high competence, then it's a decision that where I should be involved and probably I, I should take. <laughs> um, the tricky part becomes if I have no competence or no expertise, but it's still a high risk decision. And so there may be where no, you try to involve other people, a panel, or I try to talk to other CEOs or my investors. You mentioned early lessons you learned from, from your father, talking to people you admire, other CEOs and such. Do you ever take frameworks from, we can even call them dead CEOs. The, the way I think about this is I try to create a round table for myself of some of the best minds I'd want to surround myself with, even if I've never met them. Do you have any practices like that? I'm just thinking how you extract out some of these lessons and uh, decision-making frameworks. Yeah, because I read a lot, so I, I try to, to, to study a lot, or uh, maybe you can go on YouTube and you, know, you listen to, to lessons. Obviously, Keith Rabois, for example, who is one of our you know, investors, and, and he invested very early in us, has been a great example for me. He has a lot of frameworks for a lot of different uh, decisions. Um, I, I think I learned a lot since when I, I, I started being involved in Silicon Valley before I didn't know what frameworks were and I didn't know any any framework. Um, frameworks are still in something now that you, know, you, you understand quickly because they, they just make sense. But creating almost this library of framework in your mind that then you can use and, and uh, all the times that you need them, 
simplifies how you approach and take certain decisions. Yeah, with, with the number of decisions you have to make as a CEO each day, when you have these frameworks, these certain models you can apply again and again, it saves a lot of that internal energy. You also men- mentioned Keith Raboy. Uh, that's one of our most downloaded podcasts of all time. Keith, one of the, the legendary found, or original PayPal Mafia members. That's a great episode for decision-making within startups. Uh, if you guys are interested in that. I, I'm intrigued, though. Uh, how, how do you transition from Italy coming into the States and, and then starting what, what's becoming a massively fast and rapid growing company? Yeah, so I, I used to be a boring business lawyer. I was working in two of the, the largest law firms in the world. Then I started my first company, Renewable Energy and Solar, in Italy. I sold that and then I came here and I replicated the business model. Uh, then that company got acquired. But while I was running that company is when I started angel investing. And so I got into know the, the, the tech startup world and Silicon Valley world. And so as soon as I had the opportunity, then I, I started my, my own company. In course, in Silicon Valley. Yeah, believe me, we're going to dive a ton into what you guys are, are building and really leading uh, the charge on at Eight Sleep. But I would love to know because you mentioned angel investing early on. I'm assuming that's had an impact on how you operate today. What were you looking for when making investments? At the end of the day, I mean, obviously, I learned a lot compared to you know, the early days where I, I, I don't know what framework I was I was using at the time. Um, <laughs> Now I really use a framework of, I mean, I just bet on the founders, right? Um, I think whatever you invest in, they, they could change their business model. They could change what they do. Uh, but if the founders are great, they will figure it out, right? If they don't want to fail, if they're hungry, if, if they're smart, um, that is, is what excites me. And um, just being part of the journey with them and helping them where I can. I always say, I always tell him, you know, other founders when I, when I have the opportunity to invest, the number one rule is I will not bother you. I hate when investors, in particular small investors, they bother me, you know, they pretend to make a lot of questions and to be smart and they know more about the business than I do. And so I always tell them, look, when you need me, come to me. You see what ASLIP does. If, if, if I can help with anything, just ping me and, and I'll do it. Otherwise, I just let you do your your work. Oh, well, now, now this is really interesting. Now you being CEO, what do you look for in other investors? Obviously, we don't want those pesky ones that they're going to annoy you. What else do you look for when bringing on additional capital? So lately, we we do we, we did a round where we were able to attract a lot of angel investors, very high quality angel investors. And I think there were a couple of different profiles. On one side, there were people like, um, uh, like Pomp, Anthony Pompliano, uh, who could help us a lot in terms of scaling the business, right? Uh, Anthony has a strong presence on on Twitter, for example. And so he helped us a lot there. Uh, Then there are other investors like Morgan Brown, who is the VP of growth at Shopify. And so he is a great mentor and help for one of my co-founders. She she leads growth. And so all the times we need to take a big decision there, um, we, we, we tend to ping him. And, and you know, just as a sounding board. <clears throat> and so there are some investors that can you know they have um, practical expertise in core areas for us. Uh, then there are other people like Naval that they are just you know great, amazing people. Naval helps me all the times I need something um, related or not related to the business. So general mentor. Um, and then there are people that are passionate about what we do, but they are self-aware 
or aware of you know what 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 the role is and they just help us when when it's needed they don't they, they don't bother I, and I, then obviously there are institutional investors yeah. but that, that to me is a different game right so yeah, no, no, no. The, the lens and some of those specific people yeah. you mentioned, yeah. even someone like Anthony Pompliano, once again, it's, it's funny, the ecosystem. We, he, he's been a guest on the show as well. I'm thinking, though, we're getting a clearer picture in terms of, of who you are. How would you describe yourself, though, as a CEO? What type of CEO are you? We have certain, you know, direct command, other ones that, that really allow their people to operate. What category do you fall into? Um. Uh, I I probably the, the the easiest way to understand how I operate is to think about sport. That is where I come from. So you no, know, it's you no know, keep pushing, give it all, raise your bar every single day. Um, at the end of the day, a startup is trying to achieve the the impossible, right? With limited resources in a limited period of time, you're trying to do what other companies that are massive and you know way more capitalized and with way more resources cannot do. Um, and so I always say that our culture um, is like, you know, we are a sport team playing the playoffs. And so that is what you should expect from me. I, w- I will push you to the edge and you might like it or not. It, you cannot be friends with everyone. I, I think I have helped, hopefully, some people to achieve even more than what they believe they could achieve. And I, I think I'm really proud of that. On the other side, I, I also stretch them. Um, sometimes too much, sometimes to the limit. Who helps you stretch the most? Um, our board, which is great. Um, uh, I think you know our our like any board in a company, a healthy board. Um, uh, it's, it's fundamental, right? To really keep raising your bar, making sure you do your job well. That when you propose ideas or options or requests. Um, you know, you're always backing that with data. Um, we, Keith Rabois has been an, an amazing example for me, you know, uh, directly and uh, just by looking at his videos or his posts. Um, Delian from Founders Fund has always been great, uh, a partner with us to always push us to the limit. And in general, we are lucky that we have so many amazing investors, right? We have Founders Fund, we have... Uh, um, Cosla Ventures, we have SoftBank, and and a few more that will uh, be announced soon. Um, and so, I think what what is important as a CEO is when when you have access to all these great people is to understand quickly what they are great at, hmm. and then be able to leverage them in that dimension. Uh, so the same happens with YC, right? We are a YC company. We were in 2015. I still go back to YC for certain key things where I know they can help me. And five years later, uh, they still always help me all the times that that I need something. Um, And then you balance investors with other CEOs, right? Uh, So they are in in your shoes. Uh, Maybe the, the best is if you find CEOs that they are like one year, 18 months ahead of you. And so they went to your same problems just 18 months ago, you already made a mistake. And so they can help you to avoid some of the mistakes. Uh, that helps you to save a lot of time. Yeah, I always say a, a great mentor, someone like that. I mean, they, they can save you decades. You mentioned working towards something in the future. What's that vision of your future self you're working towards? For me? Yeah. Or for the company? 
for me, I mean, um, I think as long as I do my, my job well and I deserve it, I, I would like to be here in 20 years running this company and achieve what we want to achieve. I think we have um, very ambitious goals that are extremely exciting um, in the health and sleep space. And so I think if, if I could... Um, if, if, if I could drive eight sleep to achieve those goals, uh, it would make my life uh, meaningful. Another framework I use is the regret minimization framework, right? So when I'm 80 or hopefully 100 years old and I look back to my life, um, did, did I spend my time correctly? You know, did I invest my time in things that uh, had a purpose and um, were meaningful? And I think what we are doing at eight sleep they, it, it's part of that. Yeah, I, I love two of the frameworks you, you use. I use the same, the regret minimization um, and the reversible and irreversible doors. So I, so I love that. Some legendary uh, Jeff Bezos plays there. How much does self-confidence and just self-belief play into all of this for you? A big piece, but I think is like one, one side of the coin, right? So on one side, there is self-confidence. On the other side, there is a continuous um, always challenging myself or wondering if you know, I'm doing the right things, if uh, you know, where do I really stand compared to other great CEOs, um, and where do I stand compared to the expectations of, of my board and also my own team, right? Um, am I the right leader for for my guys, for my people at eight sleep, um, do do I deserve to be where I am? Um, and and so is is this balance where there are certain days uh, where you, know, you you feel good with yourself, you feel in control and self confident, and other days where you you feel that you no, know, maybe you're not doing your job as you should, and you know maybe you make mistakes. I make a bunch of mistakes. Uh, the, the, the key is, is to learn and move on. Yeah, no, I'm right there with you. I, I seem to be constantly making those. When, when you're operating at your best, what does that feel like for you? It's, it's very similar to motorsports. When you are in a camera car of, of a car uh, and the driver is, is really doing a great lap, it seems that they are almost doing nothing, right? They, they just move the steering wheel a little bit. The, the car is really stable. Everything is fluid and it's just going. And I think it's the same in the company, right? When you have few priorities, when you just focus on few things and you keep thinking and iterating on those to achieve perfection in those dimensions. Well, instead, uh, when things are not going well is when you know, you're trying to achieve too much and there is chaos. Hmm. So speaking of F1. Uh, did- uh, uh, yeah. Uh, you keep moving within these two dimensions. Yeah. So you need to really get comfortable with that. And when you feel the cows, just try not to, to you know, step back and try to figure out how you can fix it. Yeah, I love that. You, you can see as CEOs, we, we just use that example, as they progress, the more that's going on, the more at peace they almost seem to be, the more advanced they are. It almost reminds me of, um, uh, like you mentioned, it's just a great F1 um, performers. I don't know if you saw Lewis Hamilton this past weekend coming from behind there. That was just yeah. absolutely incredible. Yeah. But um, yeah. let's let's dive more into eight sleep. And it's funny. I mean, law background, and then obviously doing some solar stuff. What just got you like so obsessed with sleep that you're going to put your head down and start a company around it? Yeah, a couple of different things. So, I mean, 
everything started from 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 performance right i'm obsessed with efficiency performance and i was started wondering why do i have to sleep eight hours and then i started wondering why elon musk is taking me to mars since there is no technology in those eight hours optimizing my sleep can i sleep six hours and get more rest than when i was sleeping eight hours through technology and then i started wondering but even if i sleep six hours it's still a lot of time what else can i do and that is how i came up with the idea of scanning your body to detect any sort of illness. And so if you go back to our mission today, our mission is really two things. And I wrote a memo in 2017. We want to compress your sleep and save your life. Compress your sleep means what if you could sleep only six hours and get more rest than when you were sleeping eight hours. And saving your life means what if we can scan your body every single night while you are asleep to let you know um, anything that is happening inside your body. Did, were you always like that? Just, I mean, kind of like getting to the core of things immediately and asking these fundamental questions other people just, just seem to pass by? I, I think the, the, the first, the foundational piece was there. I just don't know if I knew how to express that. And I don't know if in Italy or the previous industries, I had the opportunity to express this part of myself. Well, instead, I think in knowing technology and in Silicon Valley, when you say these things that, you know, if I was telling to other people from other industries, they would just think I'm crazy. Here, you know, maybe they, 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 they give you the money to try and shoot for the moon. Is that how you actually got eight sleep off the ground? Just kind of telling people about it and they're like, you know what, here's the money. Let's get this thing going. Everything started with a pajama party. So my, myself and my co-founder, my co-founder built the prototype of the first cover. We created a pajama party. We invited friends. They loved what we were doing. And one of them said, can I give you a 25K check? Uh, we didn't even have a company at the time. It was just a side project uh, that we were yeah, uh, playing with. And that is how everything started. So for, for the people who are unfamiliar, can we just give you even a high level overview specifically what you guys are doing at Eight Sleep and then what you've built thus far? Yeah. So. Um, it, it sleep is the sleep fitness company. So the end goal, as I was saying, is to compress your sleep so you can sleep faster and also save your life. So scan your body while you're asleep. What we do today is already partially, we are already partially doing that, meaning we already improve your sleep through thermoregulation so we can heat and cool your body at night uh, to help you fall asleep faster and get more restful sleep. And then we monitor your heart rate, your respiration and your sleep, providing uh, advice and coaching about how you can improve um, each of these dimensions. The form factor, you can buy the whole bed. So there is the eight sleep mattress. So it's a mattress that gets shipped directly to your home, or you can just buy the eight sleep cover. Uh, that is a cover that you can install onto any mattress to retrofit it with our technology. And again, temperature control. So each side of the bed can sleep at a different temperature to maximize your sleep. And also uh, sleep and health tracking. Um, but it's a non-wearable. So you just go to bed as you did last night. You wake up in the morning and there are all your metrics. You don't have to wear anything at night. Yeah, def definitely the future of health there. What I love about this is you took this industry uh, that just hadn't been disrupted in, in, call it, 50 years since memory foam really like hit the scene and things like that. And then you come in and you completely change the game. So I'm wondering, when you're trying to disrupt a massive injury, I mean, industry, everyone has a mattress. What are some of those early friction points and hurdles you guys had to get over in the early days? Um, I mean, I, I would say the, 
the question has always been, oh, are you guys a mattress company, which we are not, right? Um, and so the, the mattress for us is a commodity form factor. It's something that people are used to and they understand and there are 3 million people buying a mattress every single year, right? But at the end of the day, we're really hybrid between a mattress company and an Apple watch, right? So we have the same DNA of Apple uh, or another wearable company. We just changed the form factor because it's the one that was making more sense. It's a product they use every single day for multiple years, up now six to 10 years. Um, and so that gives us the opportunity to measure and monitor your metrics every single day. We will see things, how you're aging. We will see how your heart rate changes, right? Your heart rate today is different from your heart rate in three years from now and six years from now. Maybe you don't have sleep apnea today, but you will have it in three years. And so we really want to become part of your health journey uh, while we also enhance your sleep. And the reason why sleep is important is not because sleep itself is important, but because sleep gives you the energy in the morning to then achieve what you want in your personal and professional life. Actually, a concept that we have at day sleep is this concept of um, sleep fitness, right? So in the 90s and early 2000s, people were saying, oh, I'll sleep when I'm dead. And we completely disagree with that point. And in the same way that you put the effort to go to the gym and to train every single day, because it's important for your health, you need to put the time and the effort to go to sleep and sleep at least eight hours, right? It's part of your fitness plan. Those eight hours are not wasted. That is when your body is recharging, is cleaning, is you know, is, is, is doing some physiological activities that then will enhance your energy. And as a consequence, they will allow you to achieve what you want to achieve in your life and be healthy. So sleep fitness is the time you want to be sleep fit sleep fitness is the activity that you do eight hours per day to make sure that your body is healthy and ready to go i want to go a little bit further on something that's incredibly exciting that you were talking about so, so you were mentioning just kind of tracking heart rate and, and you can see when this plays out over years there can be early indicators um, so i just want to make sure i'm clear so you might be able to see someone's progression this could be in the negative light um, over multiple years, and there could be early indicators about cancers that, that other things wouldn't have been able to detect. That's correct, right? Yeah, different type of illnesses. It could be arrhythmia, it could be sleep apnea. Obviously, we're not a medical-grade device, yeah. so we want to be clear about that, but you will be able, you, know, you will accumulate your data over time with no effort because you go to bed every single day, no matter what, and you don't have to wear anything with us. But after three years, we start having an outlook of how your health is changing and evolving as you are aging. And so as we develop a more machine learning models, um, we will be able to create predictions about how you're doing compared to similar peers of your age, or if there is any anomaly that maybe just you know, started showing up and it was not part of you know, your previous um, biometrics. What I love about what you guys are doing at Eight Sleep is, is like you just mentioned, there, there's no changes that need to be done essentially to collect this data. You're already going to bed each night. You're already going to be sleeping. Um, so it's just a natural progression for those, for those that data and those metrics to then all of a sudden calibrate into your, your total fitness tracking. I'm intrigued though. We think about an Apple Watch or some of these smaller devices. That's the key, right? They're really small. A mattress is so big. How do you think through What's possible within a mattress with all of this additional space that you guys can tap into? Yeah, there is an area where as a team, we always think, right? We always try to leverage any area where we have an advantage compared to 
other products, right? So wearables have some advantages because now they are always in contact with your body. Um, and, and so they can track certain things better than we do. But then they have problems in terms of real estate. In our case, with so much real estate, we can introduce almost any sensor, hmm. right? The other big advantage is wearables, they have limitations in terms of bomb, bill of material, right? So for the, it's not that they can add a 20 buck sensor. For us, adding a 20 buck sensor doesn't move any needle and it's not a problem in terms of our margins. And so we need to leverage our real estate, our price point and bill of material to differentiate our offering and achieving our mission. I'm wondering, are, are there any technologies, industries, anything like that, that you're just kind of keeping an eye on? Not, not saying you guys are throwing them into 8sleep, but, but just kind of understanding how they play out and, and how they could impact 8sleep in the future? Yeah. I always say we are at 1% of our product vision. Jeff Bezos always say that Amazon is always day one. For us, is we are at 1% of our product vision. What we are doing now, I think, is a product that hopefully is delighting thousands of people based on what we see, right? But compared to really what we want to achieve, um, it's, it's just really a, a step one. And the reason is what you were saying. We have so much space. There is so many sensors that could be introduced. Um, we can afford them because our price point is reasonably high compared to a wearable. And our customers want them. Um, they are uh, contactless, meaning they are non-wearable. So we, we are going to do the job for you. You don't have to change any habit. Just keep going to bed as you did last night. But if you buy one of our products, you will start getting more benefits. And these benefits will keep increasing over time as our software progresses. That is the part where we are very close to a Tesla. Your bed, your 8-sleep bed, um, has a higher ROI over time because through software, we will release more features based on your metrics. And so you will almost appreciate. Mm. I'm wondering, I would love for you just to kind of like stretch my mind here. If you're fast forwarding even further out the 10 plus years, what do, what do you think eight sleep looks like? It, first, your bed will look completely different. Um, Eight sleep uh, will be able to control all the environmental factors you sleep in, like noise, oxygen, everything. Uh, and it will be a medical grade device that can predict that if you don't change certain habits, you will have 80% likelihood to develop a certain thing. It's an exciting future you guys are working towards. I would love to know, just just like projecting to the future, thinking about that, what, what are those big questions you mentioned earlier, just even thinking about like the fundamental questions of like, why can't we compact more great sleep into fewer hours? What, what are those big questions you're asking right now, just to kind of take a, a new approach to, to old ways of thinking? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day is, can we compress sleep and how much? We can compress sleep and the question is how much? And the second is, can we save your life, right? When you go back to the regret minimization framework, saving lives is something that would make my life and the life of everyone working at eight sleep extremely meaningful, right? It's probably at that point the closest thing to a doctor. We don't expect to replace doctors, just to be clear. We just expect to be able to provide doctors with so much information that they can do their job even better. Um, and that is what is exciting. And maybe in certain areas, uh, maybe we can save your life on directly with our own technology. Um, 
imagine any heart rate disease or any heart attack. I always love seeing underneath the hood of the teams of the the teams that are building these great companies and what that looks like, especially as you're in this like fast progression type stage. So, so right now today, how many people are working within Eight Sleep? Yeah, obviously, it always depends if you include manufacturing or not. With manufacturing around 150, uh, if you exclude manufacturing, way way less. Um, so in the in the 50 um, range. Um, but at the end of the day, the the core team is 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 a team of very passionate people that truly believe in in this mission, and I think sometimes are in a positive sense naive enough hmm. to just try to change the world. Um, it I think it's something that I don't know if it's Vinod Kosla um, that says that, but sometimes when you want to disrupt an industry. Um, you want people that don't come from that industry. And the reason is because they start challenging uh, all the assumptions of that industry and all and the status quo. Like, no, why do we have to sleep eight hours? Um, who say that? And people now probably in the sleep space, they will tell you, oh, but because that is how much time do you need for not to get enough deep and REM and light and then you start challenging them but do i need that like sleep it's really needed or what is needed is that amount of tip and ram you know you start making different questions uh and you start challenging all their assumptions and maybe you disagree as we do and then you say you know what let me, let, let me try and 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 see what happens and so you want this type of you know sparky personalities but they just disagree with with the status quo and that usually is reflected in in many other areas of life, right? So these attitudes. Sometimes, you now my friends they always say, "Oh, but no, you you're always a contrarian, right? Mm-hmm. Nothing that is working a certain way works for you." And yeah, I, I'm a contrarian, and whenever I, I see an opportunity to disrupt something that doesn't make sense to me, I I, I think it should be disrupted. Yeah, it makes me think of uh, the legendary com- comedian Jerry Seinfeld. Uh, he, he talks about, I forget the exact quote, clearly I'll butcher it here, but he's basically just walking around angry and he, he's seeing all these things that just aggravate him. And it, it's similar yeah. as, as a CEO, a company leader, you've got to be walking on, you're, you're walking around with those spidey sense up. Um, yeah, I mean, just one of the things that just I appreciate so much about people who are leading companies, building these teams, there's so many variables. There's so many things that you have to work on and get right. One, one of those key things is just really ingraining the type of company you want to build. And that's around that company culture. So I'm wondering for you, what goes into developing the, the type of culture at Eight Sleep that can be successful over the long term? Look, at, at the end of the day, I think w- what you learn soon is once you reach critical mass of just 10 people, then the culture's the culture starts being defined by the group and not even just by one single single person. Obviously, as a leader and as a CEO, you will have a couple of points where you keep pushing. For me, is speed, is intensity, is passion, is noise, is this playoff attitude. And, and I think what then happens is that the people that succeed um, at eight sleep they tend to have you no know, a, a stronger. Um, they tend to be stronger in, in these dimensions. I actually tweeted, I think, a couple of days ago about you know the the, the typical traits of people successful at eight sleep, 
And Drew was the first one that they are really passionate about the mission, right? They are into health and fitness and data and all that thing. Second, they work extremely hard. I work hard, they work hard. Um, Then they um, keep raising their bar over and over again, right? So every day they improve. And that is connected to another trait that uh, the best people always ask for feedback. Mm. Uh, And they're eager, right? One of my best guys a few days ago, uh, he just did a presentation about something that he does. And he did a similar presentation in May. It sounds like five minutes after you now presenting all this to the whole company, he slacks me and he said, how was this compared to what I did in May? And I say, look, this was way better. Here we still need to improve, right? So I can be very transparent. We have a radical candor, at least with certain people or most of the people. And they take, even if you give them you know, a negative feedback, as, as long as it's constructive and true, then they take it in a very positive way because then they know what to work on. How for you being the leader, how, how do you build those feedback loops in for yourself? For me? Yeah. That is probably the hardest part. And I think I should do, I, I should probably do a, a better job. I try to do it from, from time to time. Obviously you have your board uh, that gives you feedback, but I should probably create more tools. So from time to time, um, we send a survey to the executives or to the team about about me. Uh, but I think I should do it more often and I should get feedback um, more often uh, because there are, right, with, with, with my character and, and my attitude, like everyone, there are some areas where I'm, I'm, I'm strong and some areas where I'm weak. And I'm eager to, to improve the weaknesses to, to be a better leader. I, I love that. Just the ability to step back and say, you know what, actually, I, I, I could develop this even more. Um, this is something I, I need more of. Yeah, developing those feedback loops when, when you're essentially in charge uh, is difficult, especially those people underneath you. They have a difficult time giving you the, the correct feedback that you might need. Yeah. I love you bring up radical candor. Uh, that's something I subscribe to as well. There, a lot of people have done some great work around that. Uh, I'm wondering, though, I mean, there, there's got to be so much going on managing all these people. How do you manage crisis and chaos more importantly, though, how do you manage like your team being able to handle the crisis and chaos? It's, it's one thing to, to be the leader and, and to have different routines or structures that you get through chaos. How, how do you get the team of 50 to be able to handle and manage that? I think our team is really good in, in crisis mode. And uh, I think it's because the executive team uh, is able to shine in those moments. Even when COVID hit, uh, the first month has been uh, scary for us, and um, and our executives did, did an awesome job. So sometimes, you know, when you have a crisis, the there is this weird effect where priorities becomes crystal clear, right? There is probably something that can just kill the company, and is one thing, and so there is this paradox where. If your team is really good at executing fast, and our team is, once it's clear that there is the thing, if we don't fix it in two weeks, we're dead. My team, I, I guess, they are the best of the best in the world. And so um, I, I think we did an awesome job there, and we were able to improve our business a lot. And, and part of what we have achieved uh, 
since March last year. The, the past 12 months, 15 months have probably been the, the, the best 12, 15 months of the company is because of you know, that shake. Um, well, instead, now we're at a moment you know, where we are, we are well capitalized, the team is growing and we're doing a lot of things. And so we are actually in this uh, tricky spot where we need to make sure that we don't try to do too much and we stay focused on what we're doing. I love the point you bring up there. I mean, pressure unveils everything. Like if everything's just going smooth, people's performance really cannot be shown their true greatness. So, so when the pressure comes on and you say that people, they, they meet those expectations and even surpass them, uh, that, that's just a testament to the team that's been able to be built there. Uh, I'm wondering when you, when you think about that team, you, you think about helping those people underneath you for you. I mean, clearly you're incredibly driven, motivated, extremely hardworking. Is there just a, let's call it a mindset of yours that you find hardest to pass on to even the most talented people on your team? So to the people that are the most similar to me and they have the same aptitude, it's really hard to tell someone who's not driven what being driven means yeah. <laughs> or someone or someone who's not hardworking what really hardworking means, yeah. right? Because everyone is working hard. It's just a matter of how you define that. And particularly nowadays, where it's not that you need to be at the office from, from time X to time Y, right? We have the, with your phone, you can always be on if, if you have to, if you want to, you know? And so where I struggle is it, it becomes extremely simple with people that have my mindset, right? They just, Got it. And they learn by osmosis. They, they, they feel the energy. They feel the excitement. And they want to learn. And so it just keeps going. They love their job, right? It's like an athlete. It's not that to an athlete you tell him that he can just do from 9 to 5. And uh, on Saturday and Sunday, he should stop training, right? They live and breathe that because they love it. And then instead, when you find people that have a different mindset, which is not right. And it's not wrong or right. It's just different. Everyone is different then it becomes extremely hard to explain them um, how we should react to certain events. And then it becomes a matter, okay, you should always tell me by when I have to do this, uh, how often do I have to check my Slack, there are all these dynamics. And that is what I think I have learned the most over the past years when, when we hire, we just need to find people that have our mindset. Because again, you cannot be friend with, with everyone you just need to select the people that click with you. And there are other awesome people that are not your friends. They're still awesome, but they have just a different perspective. And the world needs this different perspective. Uh, I'm wondering, because you were talking earlier about just your ability to filter and that selection process in terms of input. I'm thinking about that selection process for the team. You were talking about the, uh, around different investors and and what can they do? What, what can you leverage of them? How do you think about this when hiring? Uh, I'm thinking about this. Say uh, a potential hire comes across your desk that is just an incredibly talented individual but doesn't fit the mold of specifically what you need. Do you pass on someone like that so you can find someone to, to fit that exact need? Or if you come across someone extremely talented, that's almost more of a Swiss army knife, you'll bring them on anyway and find a role? I'm just wondering how you think this through. I'm asking for myself here. <laughs> yeah. So it's tricky, meaning there's not one answer. The, the key answer is in, in general, 30,000 feet, there are, you want diversity in the company, right? Because you want different perspectives and you want contrarians. Uh, 
but in at the 30,000 feet level, you want to make sure that these people are aligned on a few core principles, right? Like the passion for the mission, the bar raising, the hard working, the asking for feedback, right? These, these foundational pieces. Um, and so usually you try to find these elements. And as long as there are these elements and this person is a barrel, right? Kitra boys define them between barrel and ammunition. You, you try to understand what they are. Um, you're, you're, you're fine with that. I always try to look for greatness. Hmm. Give me a sign that in your life you were great. And not professionally. I don't care. Just give me a sign of greatness in anything you have done in your life. And as long as I find that, then I'm excited to be working with you. The, so there are a few exceptions where I think, in particular for engineering, right? Sometimes engineering, software engineers, Sometimes it's not about super hard working. You can find extremely talented people that in half the time they can X what other engineers less talented can do in three times uh, that time, right? And so I think there are, these are the exceptions in very specific, in, very, in areas with very specific domain expertise. Uh, people that are extremely talented can just unlock more potential uh, and so you can compromise on certain values. A, a value where you don't want to compromise is assholes. <laughs> so we don't want to have, we don't want assholes in our company. Um, I, I, we, we almost never had them. Uh, it just happened once and, 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 and we understood it was not working out. Um, and so in our respect uh, for others, it's something you cannot compromise. Yeah, if you're a company and you're not subscribing to the no asshole policy, <laughs> you've got you've got something wrong. And I, I I just started to smile when you when you were talking about uncovering someone who who's accomplished a level of greatness in their life because when you can unpack that, no matter what domain it's done, you know they understand the necessary foundational building blocks and steps it requires to achieve that level of mastery. You can replicate across that across different domains, and more than likely, they can actually skill up even quicker because they've achieved it before. So that's one I absolutely love to as well. Uh, Mateo, I know we're gonna we're gonna close up here in a minute. You were mentioning reading one or two books a year. Um, myself and the listeners, we, we'd love hearing different book recommendations. Um, are there a handful that, that you've gone to over the years? You thought you got a lot out of this. Doesn't have to be business. Um, this could be around health. This could be anything. I'm just wondering if there's any books that come to mind for you. Yeah, um, books I love in general. One is Shoe Dog. Uh, the you know, the story of Nike. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, there is the Almanac of Naval Ravikant. That, that I love as well. There are a lot of great principles of, uh, um, of life. Um, there is uh, the only, the, the score, I don't remember the name of the book. The but Bill Walsh, the, the book, score uh, will take care of itself. Yeah. yeah, it's a great one. Yeah, the score will, that is another book I love. Only the Paranoid, uh, Paranoids Survive is another great one. Uh, I'm reading one now that one of my investors suggested called uh, The Goal. Um, that he he said is, is amazing um, in terms of framework, um, and then I would say you everyone should if they are in the startup world they should read all the program essays that that I think is the is, is the foundational piece of every uh, of, of every founder. 
Yeah, I would say if you're involved in a company, either leading it or a fast-growing one, and you've not read Paul Graham's essays, uh, you're missing out. You need to dive into those. Mateo, you've got such an interesting mind. I love the the lens you're looking at the world and coming through things with. I would love to know if you could do this long-form interview with anyone dead or alive, just not a family member or friend, who would you love sitting down for and just getting to ask anything of? So a person I would really love, and it's not because of any political position right is barack obama hmm. um i would love to yeah to know more about what you know what what he has seen what he has achieved what being a president means and know uh, what he went through during the presidency but that, that to me would be um Yeah, I I don't know enough about him. One interesting thing I I did learn about him uh, is when he wanted to become a better orator, he actually started to to study um, different ministers and priests to understand how they connect with people um, and how they can articulate so clearly. Um, So yeah, that's that's someone uh, who's been brought up multiple times. Um, That would be an interesting and fascinating conversation. Um, Matteo, this this has been so much fun. Um, I I love exploring your mind and, and just the incredibly impressive things that you guys are building at Eight Sleep. Where else do you want the listeners staying connected with you and then even discovering more about 8sleep? Uh, I, I know we've got an, an unbelievable uh, discount code set up with you right now where listeners can receive $150 off uh, the mattress um, with discount code Sean. Anywhere else, though, that, that you want them staying connected with you or just getting connected to the website? Yeah, if they want to improve their sleep and be sleep fit, um, they should go on 8sleep.com, 8 like the number, just in letters, so E-I-G-H sleep.com there on the homepage there is also a link to my twitter i'm really active on, on twitter so you can tweet me anytime you can make me question about a sleep as a company and in our products yeah and one of the things i love is just how active you are um with the users of your product but mateo i cannot thank you enough for joining us on what got you there thank you thank you for having me you guys made it to the end of another episode of what got you there I hope you guys enjoyed it. I really do appreciate you taking the time to listen all the way through. If you found value in this, the best way you can support the show is giving us a review, rating it, sharing it with your friends, and also sharing on social. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Looking forward to you guys listening to another episode.